welcome to Off Screen. Let's get cinematic on your sofa. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect, and this is your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. And welcome back, as always, Miss Perfect. How's your cinematic week been? It's been all right, thanks. I mean, the weather's been... I suppose, helpful in the way that you're not outside. You just want to stay inside with all that rain. <laughs> so I've just been... Do you know what I watched this week, which I've been really impressed with? It's not a, it's not a movie, but it once was. Um, Alex Ryder mm. on Amazon Prime. Really, we, we talked about the film recently, didn't we? Yeah. we talked, that was on, on Amazon Prime. They actually added the film ahead of the, the new series. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I like that film. I, I have to say I've really enjoyed the series. It's a bit sort of Kingsman meets Line of Duty. It's darker than you think. So definitely one for adult audiences to watch, not just something for the kids, which I think is the perception at the moment. Kingsman meets Line of Duty. Now that's a very specific picture. I never saw that one coming. Yeah, I know. It's, I actually, I watched the first episode because I needed to review it for, you know, my new role as a TV critic rather than a film critic with nothing on at the cinemas. And actually, I'm, <laughs> I'm now three episodes in and really, really enjoying it. So definitely worth a watch. Oh, you're doing better than I am with Space Force then, at least. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what have you been watching this week, Van? Anything much? Well, I've, I've I've watched our reviews for uh, for digital this week, which we'll talk about in a moment. But uh, other than that, it's been uh, it, it's been an interesting one. I have I have a biggie for next week sat in my watch queue, uh, which I'm I'm looking forward to. But we're embargoed until the middle of next week, so I can't talk about that. Um, I did get to rewatch Echo in the Canyon, actually the uh, the music doc about the '60s, about Lower Canyon the '60s, which I, I think is a great documentary. I did get to revisit some old favorites. I got to revisit Demolition Man for the first time in years, which you know I'm a huge, huge fan of. Ooh. Yeah, good one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I still maintain that that is Stallone's best. Um, I watched Backdraft as well, which I haven't seen in a long, long time. I, I love Backdraft. Yeah, Backdraft. Kurt Russell. Oh, what a, what a film. Who knew firefighters could be so hot? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was terrible. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, well, there you go. Well, that's, uh, speaking of terrible, should we talk about the first film on our uh, on digital releases for this week? Let's do it, yeah. So our first film this week is uh, Resistance, uh, which is uh, a new film from Jonathan Jakubowicz, who brought us, do you remember that film Hands of Stone a few years ago? It was like 2016, it was a boxing film starring Edgar Ramirez, the guy who replaced Patrick Swayze in that awful Point Break remake. Oh gosh, um, I don't think I even bothered with that because the words awful Point Break <laughs> remake is probably all you need to know. Well, that director is back now and he's, uh, he's, he's this is the most bizarre pitch you've ever heard for a movie. This is a based on a true story, marginally sensationalized drama about the life of the mime Marcel Marceau and his antics during World War II in occupied France when he joined the French resistance to save orphaned Jewish children. Um, he's played here by Jesse Eisenberg, who's basically just playing Jesse Eisenberg in the 1940s, but with a broken accent, like broken English. We haven't got a clip because there's a surprising lack of marketing materials on this one. It also stars Clemence Posey, uh, who you might remember from In Bruges uh, a few years ago, which I love In Bruges a lot more than I liked this movie, it's worth saying. And there's an almost blink and you'll miss it role for Ed Harris in there. <laughs> It's, uh, it's one of those films that, uh, but it's right, if, I, if I tell you this, this will kind of set the tone for you nicely. There is a sequence sort of in the middle of this film in which the token Nazi bad guy has just lined up captured, uh, captured uh, Jewish collaborators. He has them in an empty swimming pool and they're being executed one by one whilst he plays piano on a perch above them whilst drinking beer from a stein. 
and as and he shoots them periodically, and he shoots everyone except the characters that you know the names of. It's one of those movies. So what, let me ask you, what's your emotional takeaway from this? My emotional takeaway was largely boredom, if I'm really honest. Oh. Um, it's worth noting. It, it, I mean, it's very hard to shake. Even as, even as early as 20 minutes into this, I noted that it's very, very hard to shake the very pungent whiff of failed Oscar bait because you can just feel that permeating through it. Having said that, though, uh, the Chilean cinematographer, and I didn't know his name, it's M.I. Litton Menz, who has worked with uh, Jacob Kubowitz uh, before on Hands of Stone, most notably, um, did the Amazon series, I forget the name of at the moment. Um, he at least has put in a really solid effort with the visuals. It's quite a lavish-looking film, very handsome film. The, the film itself, though, is a complete slog. I mean, the script is garbage. The characterization is incredibly weak, although you can tell that there is a concerted effort to try and add depth. It just fails it fails very hardly. Is, when you say it's a slog, is it like it's an hour and a half and it should feel a lot quicker, or is it actually two and a half hours long and a genuine slog? It's two hours, it feels a good 2.45 if I'm being honest. This feels mammoth Oscar Beatty length, even though it's only two hours. I mean, it's it, it's worth noting as well. This is a film I was led to believe had a lot to do with the Boy Scouts helping these orphans. It's a very minor element. I knew very little about the film going in, and I have to say, if I'm glad I didn't, because I think my expectations would have been significantly higher if I had. It sounds like a lot better a film than it actually is. Uh, the Ed Harris uh, appearance, for instance, is literally two scenes, one at the beginning, one at the end. They've literally filmed him for an afternoon. They pulled the old Bruce Willis trick. Uh, on, on this one. It's, it's worth that as well. I mean, there's a, there's a great moment in this in which they unveil Marcel Marcel. They do that moment that all these true story biopics do, that moment of uh, remember his name because he'll be going places, you know, moments. <laughs> and, and they've got all the soldiers, all the American soldiers in World War II sat there being forced to watch Marcel Marceau. And all I can think at that stage is those poor gits, they've gone through all this hardship, seen all this death and suffering, and now to cap it all off, they're being made to watch a mime. Avoid this like the plague. Uh, Half a thumb for the production value and the intent, but the script and the performances just aren't there. Okay, fair enough. I think we've kind of got the idea that it's not one for you guys to be watching. <laughs> Moving on, though, I'm so intrigued by this because whenever you mention the name Danny Trejo, then <laughs> you know what you're going to get from something out of this. So we've got inmate number one, The Rise of Danny Trejo. <laughs> I just like saying it. This is bizarre. Okay, so I just did not know this was a thing. They have made a documentary about the life of Danny Trejo. More than that, it's actually a fascinating documentary about the life of Danny Trejo. Alright, fellas, let's do this. My name's Danny Trejo. You might have seen me once in a while. Desperado, Heat. Dust till dawn. Con Air. Machete. They make movies and stories about guys like Danny. Danny is that guy. Danny was in a high-stakes world from a very young age. Addicted to heroin since he was 12. He was just a kid, caught up in the game. I had a sawed-off shotgun and a hand grenade. I buried him, and I told my mom, be real careful in the backyard. <laughs> so it turns out that Danny Trejo just basically was 
is and forever shall be a variation on the guy he always plays. He's just a slightly more happy, troublesome version. We always forget for us that Danny Trejo is a man in his mid-70s. It's just because he doesn't really look it that we sort of let that slide. This is, at times, hilarious, at times, heartbreaking. It's quite well made by Brett Harvey. It's not Asif Kapadia-level documentary storytelling, but it's pretty slick. It, it's, got, it's quite cool. Some great visuals in there. The uh, the people they've got speaking, you know, on you know, in in, in sort of fleshing out the story of Danny Trejo include known people such as uh, Donald Logue, uh, and Michelle Rodriguez, Robert Rodriguez. You know, people who know. I'm actually quite shocked that at no point anyone managed to get Tarantino in this because I feel like if they had, this would have shot it up the uh, up the mainstream level a little bit. Um, really fascinating dog. Yeah, and I mean, he was such a big collaborator with Robert Rodriguez, and we're going to actually be talking about a Robert Rodriguez movie in. Uh, films on TV in just a second, which I, I know Van and I are both excited about. <laughs> Did you know, this is a thing I learned from this documentary, right, Danny Trejo and Robert Rodriguez are second cousins through marriage, and they did not discover this until they met whilst filming Desperado. True story. What? That's crazy. Firstly, you've just no. given it away, what we're talking about, which is so annoying, but secondly, that is a great fact, oh. so you have redeemed yourself. <laughs> this, um, what I find really interesting as well, I, I may have this wrong, I know that Danny Trejo is Mexican, but I also think he's part Filipino, which is also where I'm from as well. So I've, I think there's a connection that I've always kind of followed him for that reason, but it may also have been quite like the Robert Rodriguez thing. It may be untrue. So therefore I've spent all my life thinking one thing and it's going to be something else. There's a lot of legend around Danny Trejo because he spent a decade in prison and he built a complete legend. He spent most of the, the 60s uh, in in various prisons throughout California. We're told how he basically toured all the known prisons because they kept moving them around because they were afraid of rising power amongst Hispanic and Mexican inmates in the prison system at that time. There's some absolutely fascinating stuff. You wouldn't think a documentary about Danny Trejo would be this interesting, but I promise you, if you see this, you will love it. If this is available on digital from uh, this coming Monday, which I think is the 22nd. Uh, Resistance, by the way, is out uh, today, Friday the 19th, but it's Monday the 22nd for uh, for inmate number one. I can't recommend this highly enough. If you think you know about Danny Trejo, trust me, you absolutely don't. It adds fascinating context to the making of Con Air, if, if nothing else, and it gives us the best introductory line anyone has ever used when meeting a woman as gorgeous as Salma Hayek, which was, and this is genuinely true, Go pick two banks and I'll rob them for you. <laughs> Welcome back to Off Screen. Well, you heard your digital offerings and now we're bringing you movies on TV. This is broken down into two parts and we're going to bring you the top three for your Saturday, Sunday and Monday. So we're going to kick off with... A beautiful animation, actually, something that really does put, pull on your heartstrings. This is Big Hero 6, which is on BBC One at 5.20pm on Saturday. I really loved this. Did you, Van? Oh, I was I was a huge fan of Big Hero 6. This is, I don't know why this happens to me. I have a thing with uh, Disney and Pixar films where I can actually bypass most of the marketing and actually get to see the film, and it's a complete surprise to me. I remember not knowing anything about Finding Nemo when I first saw it, but this was another one I had as well. Yeah, and it's such a lovely, lovely story. It's, um, it's about a guy called Hero, who is this robotics prodigy, and he... <laughs> He meets up with with a guy, uh, with uh, Baymax, um, who basically is there to help avenge his brother's death. And they team up with all of Hero's friends. They form this kind of high tech sort of hero gang, and it's just it's beautiful. And again, if you're thinking like what kind of 
up their animations are you looking for in the more modern day? This was brought out in 2015. It's one that I kind of think fits with you quite well. Well, that's the thing as well, because this also is an animated feature adaptation of a Marvel comic as well. This yeah. did not seemingly get, get really noticed upon release because it is so Disney-fied that you wouldn't really think it. But <clears throat> when you see the actual uh, comic panels, the animation style is... is quite true to the source material. Um, it's got a hell of a cast in there as well. Uh, just people in there like Alan Tudyk, James Cromwell, you know, like a caliber cast in there. I believe Damon Wayans Jr. is in there, I think. And Gina, uh, Genesis Rodriguez, who, you know, I've always been a fan of. I've always called her Jenny from the block, so a huge, huge fan of her. And uh, going back to, to Man on a Ledge, like I think it's eight years ago now. Uh, really, really great fun. And of course, cute as all hell. People keep saying he's not really gone, as long as we remember him. It still hurts. I see no evidence of physical injury. It's a different kind of hurt. You are my patient. I would like to help. You can't fix this one, buddy. Uh, what are you doing? I am downloading a database on personal loss. Database downloaded. Treatments include contact with friends and loved ones. I am contacting them now. No, 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 I, I, I don't do Your that. Your friends have been contacted. Unbelievable. Now what are you doing? Other treatments include compassion and physical reassurance. I'm okay, really. You will be all right. There, there. <laughs> Thanks, Baymax. I remember shedding a tear at the end. There's there's something quite magical when a, a, an animation can really do that to you. You're with it along the way. You're having fun. You're having all these different sort of experiences, like the highs, the lows, and then suddenly you're brought down to that horrible level. <laughs> the thing I remember with this, you talk about the heartstrings. The thing I remember about this is if you saw it on theatrical, did you get the Pixar short beforehand when you saw this? Did you yeah. remember what it was? Yeah, I, I probably did. But I, I, I mean, there are so many great Pixar shorts. <clears throat> Which one's this? Is it Bow? This... This one, no, no, Bow was Incredibles too. This one got Feast, which was the one about the little dog that got adopted oh. and loved food. Yes, yeah, 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 beautiful. There's some amazing oh. ones. I mean, that, that's the Niagara yeah, exactly. Falls, Frankie yeah. Angel. Wow. <laughs> the brilliant thing about this is that you get that added bonus of the little short film as well at the beginning, and they're always so worth a watch. This for me is, is is really brilliant. If you haven't seen it before, if you've got the kids in tow, this is your Saturday afternoon, 5.20 p.m., BBC One. Definitely, definitely worth a watch. However, continuing your weekend, what do we got on Sunday, Van? So Sunday, <clears throat> what I actually think is a really underrated but actually quite brilliant Jim Carrey comedy from 2009. This is Yes Man, which is based on the uh, the novel, of, well, not the novel, but the, the it was a sort of satirical comedic non-fiction novel uh, by Danny Wallace. This sees Jim Carrey as a sort of basically depressed mortgage broker or loan officer in a bank who, d who goes to a seminar and is told to enrich his life. All he has to do is just say yes to everything. How, how wrong could this possibly go? We're going to make a covenant, Carl. Do you want to make a covenant? Oh. The word is yes, Carl. Yes! 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 Once you leave this building, every time an opportunity presents itself, no matter what it is, you will say yes. What 
see the other word. You'll be making a promise to yourself. And when you break a promise to yourself, things can get a little dicey. What do you say, Carl? You ready to make a covenant? Yes. Yes! 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 yes. yes. Again. Yes. yes. Say it again. Yes! yes. Ah. Make me believe it! Yes! 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 Well, you know what? I, I always consider myself a bit of a yes person. I'm always up for stuff. But, I, you know, when you when you think, like, how badly wrong it does go in this movie, you're kind of going, actually, maybe I'm going to rethink some of my choices in life. <laughs> That's it. And you know what? We forget so much about this movie. It co-stars, for instance, Bradley Cooper and Zoe Deschanel. You're like, Okay, wow. Um, it, its main uh, main soundtrack beat is a needle drop from Third Eye Blind, of all people, which in 2009 was kind of unheard of at that point. Um, Terrence Stamp in there. I'm always happy to see General Zod himself show up. Notice I said General Zod. Now, I know there's two of them now, but there actually isn't. There's only one General Zod, and then there's Michael Shannon. That's how that works. Uh, great movie, though, and also has one of my favourite Harry Potter references. I don't like contemporary pop culture references in films. See my rants on every time they've mentioned Game of Thrones in a comedy for the last five or six years. But this has a Harry Potter reference in it that I think is an absolute just roof dropper. It's fantastic and features Reese Darby from What We Do in the Shadows and Fly the Concourse just on fine, fine form. If you want a good laugh, check this out. Uh, there's great use of uh, a song by Journey not that one, the other one in this as well. Uh, again, check this out. You will laugh. It's great. I just cannot recommend that. I, I just I can watch this over and over again. I think it's an absolutely superb time. Okay, so that is on ITV2 at 6.55 on, Monday, oh, on Sunday even. Now, kicking off your week, we've got an absolute classic here. We've got Die Hard 2 on Sony Movies at 9pm. You'll never look at airports in the same way if you ever get to visit one again. I noticed as well, we, we put specifically have written down Die Hard 2. Everyone always writes it down as Die Hard 2, Die Hard. And a funny story about that, that is not the title of Die Hard 2. The tagline is Die Harder. And for some reason, because of the way it's stylized on the poster, it caught on that that was the title, which is just a weird thing and led to all the Die Hard movies having ridiculous titles. This, like the first four Die Hard movies, is based on an unrelated source material that has then been rewritten into a Die Hard movie. It's only, it's only the fifth one where it's actually an originally created story. Uh, this is based on a novel called 58 Minutes. Uh, it sees John McClane trying to fight, fight and thwart terrorists in an airport, and terrorists being ex-military, <clears throat> as they try to secure the release of an imprisoned South American dictator who's scheduled to land there on Christmas Eve. Because I don't know about you, but that's when I like to land my deposed South American dictators. Fingerprints. Got an unidentified stiff here. I've circled the worlds in pen. In case the transmission's a little fuzzy. Listen, run it through state and federal, and if you can, run it through Interpol. Will do. Well, what's this about? Oh, just a feeling I have. <laughs> Ouch. When you get those feelings, insurance companies start to go bankrupt. Listen, the uh, fax number is... It's on the top edge of the transmission. It's on the top got. edge of the transmission you just got. On airport, huh? Listen, uh, you're not in somebody's pool, are you? <laughs> yeah, and I'm fresh out of chlorine. John McClane and technology, there. Well, there we go. I mean, you know, for a 1990 film... 
it still is so relevant today. I'm not saying 1990s, 1990. This is John McClane. It's it? amazing, isn't it? Um, yeah, if you ever get to visit uh, a, an airport again in the near future, you'll probably be looking at your show. That is for you on Sony Movies at 9pm. And we're back on that couch with more Freeview Cinematic offerings. So let's go to Tuesday, Miss Perfect. And this is this is quite a recent one uh, for us. I think this might be the most one of the most recent films we've got on this week. So it's Atomic Blonde, which is on film for Tuesday nights at 9pm. When was Atomic Blonde? Was that like two years ago now, Atomic Blonde? I feel like it's 2015. We'll have to just check that one out. But essentially, you've got Charlize Theron playing an assassin who's just really badass um and one thing that i really love i mean that's all you need to say about this movie so is this your first time in berlin yes well it's a remarkable time to be here wonderful music superb nightlife marvelous restaurants you must try the central coffee for a drink you'll need it later You remember Mr. Bremovich, don't you? Of course you do. Well, he's very curious what you're doing here in Berlin. One thing I really loved about it, there's a sequence in a stairwell, which is like Mm. a, a long shot of her just doing an amazing bit of choreography fighting as she's going really down Really brutal the as well, yeah. Yeah, incredibly brutal. It's a bit like, and it's not as good as, but it is a bit like Old Boy. There's a sequence in Old Boy where it's all just in one shot. And I think it's trying to recreate this. I remember walking out of this being slightly disappointed because I think my, uh, my expectations were excessively high for this, which I think is a bit of a shame. But actually, if you enjoy it for what it is, which is a really good Nikita-style assassin movie, you'll have a really good time with it. Well, that's the thing. I think it's directed by David Leach, who you know, rose prominence through John Wick, the first John Wick movie in 2014. I think this was uh, one of their first, one of his first ventures outside of, of the John Wick series. But I remember, like you, I was I was a little bit let down based entirely on, I think, the marketing for it, which promised a very pulpy, comic booky, like you say, mm. Nikita, but slightly trashier kind of a film with all the brutal violence, the hyper violence, I think is the, the term I always use for it, uh, of the John Wick series. Whereas in reality, it's a lot more more dramatic than that, although it still has those great actions. It's good supporting cast, though, that includes Sophia Batella, who at that point had uh, made her name with the first Kingsman movie. So this is at least 2016 then, because Kingsman was yeah, 15. Yeah. Um, I believe there's also Toby Jones in there as well. James McAvoy appears. <clears throat> good, solid cast. And Theron, I mean, Charlize Theron always delivers, as we know. It's actually 2017, um, but it's based ah. on the 2012 graphic novel the coldest city so we're kind of in the right region with it um i think i kind of expected more from charlize theron i expected a completely different direction for her and bar a few wigs i think it is charlize theron it's not her doing furiosa which is a completely different uh route that's the thing isn't it because you when i say like we i wanted to be pulpier do you not think that we're kind of we are waiting for charlize theron to have that sort of snake pliskin role that wisecracking one-liner action role i feel like that's something she's got to do eventually yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. But you guys should totally make your mind up on this because it is still very much worth a watch. So you've got Atomic Blonde. That kicks off your Tuesday. Film for 9pm. This is a good week for movies because your midweek movie 
on Wednesday. <laughs> action. If you're a big Danny Trejo fan, 9 p.m., you're going to be wanting to catch Desperado. Yeah, name two banks for me, Banks. <laughs> I'm never living that yeah. down. I'm never. I'm, I tell you, I, I, every time I try to pick a woman up at a bar for the rest of my life, that is going to be the line now. <laughs> You know what? I, I remember watching Desperado too young and being mesmerized by it. I had it recorded on VHS and I just watched it again and again and again. I was blown away by it. I was like, who is this Robert Rodriguez? Who is Antonio Banderas? Selma Hayek, who is that? And it just, I got obsessed. For me, it was because it, 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 this came out around the time that we, we'd sort of, uh, Tarantino had broken out several months earlier with, with uh, Pulp Fiction. And there was so much of the Tarantino influence in there because Tarantino himself obviously turns up in that, that great sequence where he monologues the gag. There's uh, Steve Buscemi turning up in there as well. Cheech Marin. There's so many sort of names that are tied inexplicably to Tarantino. And of course, Tarantino and Rodriguez will then sort of form that little union that goes on to give us, for instance, Dustal Dawn, Grindhouse, things like that. And so Desperado does become sort of part of the, the Tarantino, sort of tertiary part of the, the Tarantino canon. And also it's it, it's a movie that was based on, on its own Mexican movie of the, same, uh, of the same title, which kind of didn't do as well globally and then Robert Rodriguez took this on and you know it became one Well it this is. is the weird thing because it's it's a, it's kind of like Evil Dead 2. So Desperado is technically part 2. So you've got El Mariachi which I think is 93 or 94. You've then got Desperado which is part 2 in which it's the same character but he's played by Banderas now and the the incidents that he that he refers to have happened in El Mariachi. And then we've got a threequel that comes along nearly a decade later that's once upon a time in Mexico in which John yeah. Johnny Depp joins the fray, fray and, and coins the term, are you a Mexican or a Mexicant? <laughs> yeah. I remember being a little bit disappointed with Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Again, because my expectations were so high. This Based is a on 19- this, yeah. yeah. This is a 1995 action thriller that is absolutely brilliant. You will want to be as cool as Banderas walking around with your guitar case in hand. And you know what? If you love that kind of early Tarantino, Rodriguez feel, you're going to get everything that you want from this. And I think it's been massively underrated in a way. And I think it, it, it needs to come back and be more prevalent because it's such a brilliant film. I feel like people don't remember Desperado as well as they should. They don't give, quite give it the recognition that it should. And of course, uh, something that I sort of gleaned from watching the uh, the Treo documentary, the inmate number one, is how so much of Robert Rodriguez's work is to try and create what he calls mexploitation as its own sort of subgenre. And Desperado is a, a, a brilliant example of, of what he tries to do. It leads all the way up to, for instance, Machete. Well, do you know what? This this is in its perfect channel on Sony Action because that's. Exactly- exactly what it's full of that's 9 p.m that's your wednesday happy hump day to you go and get your guitar and make sure it's not got any explosives in it uh moving on to thursday we've got a quite a controversial movie here starring james franco and also seth rogan i mean this was hyped for all the wrong reasons in a way when it came out oh, yes on five star 9 p.m i remember the controversy but i can't remember what like i know it's obviously to do with north korea but I can't remember the ins and outs of it. Okay, so the plot first and foremost, as you, because you kind of have to start with the plot. So the plot is a TV journalist who's known for his sort of sensationalist interviews, played by James Franco. Uh, he and his producer, played by Seth Rogen, are uh, granted the opportunity to interview Kim Jong Un. 
and which is you know a rarity. They are allowed to fly to South to North Korea, not South Korea, to fly to North Korea and interview him. But they are given a specific mission by the CIA before they can do so. I'm sorry, we had kind of a long night last night. Why are you telling us all this information? Well, well we're telling you this because you two, lucky gentlemen, are going to mm. be in a room alone with him. Congratulations, mm. by the way. That's right. Which is part of the reason why we're here. The CIA would love it if you two could take him out. Hmm? Take him out. Take him out? Like for drinks? No, no, no. Take him out. Take out. Like to dinner? Take him out to a meal? Take him out. Like on the town? Party? No, uh, take him out. You want us to assassinate the leader of North Korea? Yes. What? Said mission, of course, being issued to them by the one, the only, the stunning Lizzie Kaplan, who looks an awful lot like the lady in my life. But uh, the thing with it, of course, became that North Korea did not take too well to uh, the existence of this movie and claimed responsibility for hacking Sony. Now, yeah, I was wondering if if when it came out, if it was at, if I remember rightly, was it like not shown in cinemas for a reason? I remember trying to get hold of a copy of this. This wound up being released Christmas 2014 on digital platforms because it was the only way that Sony could think of to safely release the film to still earn decent bank and I believe it did hold something of a record for a little while I, I remember getting a hold of it as well I had to I had to pull in various resources to actually get a friend to buy it on my behalf in the US because you just couldn't in the UK and I was so desperate to talk about it on radio um, and I actually the weird thing about it is the film itself does not quite deserve the controversy that it's got it's quite funny as you can hear from the clip you know it's got great lines like they peanut butter and jelly they hate us because they ain't us you know lines are like that it's got a lot of fun in there with randall park as kim jong-un and randall park will go on to to star in fresh off the boat and ant-man and things like that i think he's coming back to the marvel universe in, in something this next year as well um it, it's it's funny. It's not quite as offensive as you would expect it to be. It's got a prolonged joke about inserting a, a missile up inside oneself, but uh, which is deeply uncomfortable. But it's it's funny. It's fun. There's a great cameo by Eminem. Yeah, and you know what? I think it's kind of a storm in a teacup in a way with this movie because mm. you know I think it's the hype around it almost took over the fact that actually it's a it's I thought it was quite an average film when I watched it I thought it was you know it was kind of a three star for me it was okay to watch just nothing iconic that made it kind of you know really live with us for years but the hype machine does its job for it and it's on on a Thursday night there's never anything on on a Thursday night for some reason so at least you can turn a five star at nine o'clock and have a couple of chuckles with Seth Rogen and James Franco what what's better than that now, speaking of a couple of chuckles, I was really surprised at our Friday offering. Okay, so on 4-7 at 10pm is Book Club. And I remember watching this and going, oh God, this is going to be garbage. And actually, it was really, really funny. So Book Club is it about... A, yeah, it's about a group of, shall we say, golden girls of sorts um, <laughs> who, who join together to for their usual book club but the book this week in which they're reading is a little bit steamy it's of course 50 shades of gray <laughs> this book made me realize that it's been quite a while since we you know as in as in weeks mm, like maybe six six weeks months 
Oh my God, I thought you guys were like rabbits. We are. If rabbits took a ton of Benadryl and made a chastity pact. Oh my God, we have to yeah. put a stop to this. Oh, yeah. come on. I mean, if women our age were meant to have sex, God wouldn't do what he does to our bodies. Whoa. Well, speak for yourself. Well, that was not God. That was Dr. Nazarian. <laughs> You said about them being Golden Girls. He's the hardly the average Golden Girls. So it's, it's like Mary Steenburgen, Diane Keaton, Candice Bergen, and Jane Fonda. Now, I'm just going to tell you this. I'm 36 years old. I still fancy the pants off Jane Fonda at the age she is now. I don't know how old she is. could be 90 years old for all I know. I still fancy the pants off Jane Fonda now. I think I fancy Jane Fonda. I mean, she's amazing. She's like the most incredible activist out there. It's insane. Um, this film really made me laugh. And... It's got that kind of Sunday afternoon feel to its format. You know, they live in this beautiful house and they all come together and they're all kind of middle class, you know, uh, you know, well-to-do ladies whose husbands or, you know, are, are kind of like, you know, bankers or whatever. And they're kind of, they haven't got much else to do except go and meet for a book club. And then suddenly by reading Fifty Shades of Grey, it changes their sex lives or their previously non-existent sex lives. <laughs> That's the thing, isn't it? Because it's a comedy about female sexuality that actually skews older, which is basically unheard of. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's what makes this such a great surprise of a movie. It just works really well. Obviously, the cast is stellar, you know, so you know you've got these brilliant actresses. But those actresses, unfortunately, for, you know, unfortunate reasons, they're not really the ones that pull in the big bucks when you go and watch a cinema full of these ladies. So... But actually, when you watch it, the quality is there. The, the humour is there. They land every joke really well. And it's got a lot of heart to it as well. Plus, if you need to remember what was going on throughout that phenomenon that was Fifty Shades of Grey, you're going to want to tune in 4-7, 10pm, Friday night. That's your weekend sorted. Okay, and if you are still giggling in your seats as to wondering what book club is going to be like on your Friday night, well, you'll just have to wait and see. It's well worth the watch. If you are, however, thinking that you're needing to explore more shiny discs and Blu-rays rather than smutty, dirty novels, then we've got a selection that is right up your street as well. And actually, we're going to kick off with like a romantic film of sorts which is, I really love this movie. I know Van did as well. This is available from Monday on the 20, uh, June 22nd. It's Emma, um, the, 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 the film that I think we were really surprised at how much we enjoyed this. It's got Johnny Flynn. It's got Anya Taylor-Joy. Is that right? Anya Taylor-Joy? Yes. And, yeah, Anya, Taylor, Anya Taylor-Joy, yeah. Yeah, and it's just, it's, it's a period drama, but again, it, it just reinvents the genre in a way that kind of makes you enjoy it once more. Well, that's because obviously based on the iconic, you know, Jane Austen novel. I think for, for people our age, most of us now know it as the basis for Clueless, which is in and of itself a whole different level of iconic. But I think the the success of this particular adaptation of Emma comes from the sort of naturalism and the tone of the comedy they've got in there, particularly using actors such as Bill Nye as well, which I think gives you a, a level of wit that, for instance, the '96 Gwyneth well, Paltrow version didn't quite have for me. Yeah, so uh, Bill Nye in this, there's a whole sequence of him uh, trying to get warm by the fire using a screen. And it's just, there's, there's real sort of sharpness in his delivery of comedy that really works. But do you know what? I think he's very colourful. We've got Miranda Hart in this movie as well. There's, there's um, we've got, um, oh, Mia Goth is in it as well as a really good uh, character as well. She kind of, a clueless fan. Josh O'Connor from God's Own Country as well. Yeah, yeah, all of those. I mean, the cast. Also, I remember saying to you when we reviewed this when it came out in the cinema, 
it's got half the cast of Sex Education in it as well. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very specific reference as well. But that's, I mean, because we've talked about this a few times because we reviewed it on Theatrical. Then I think it came out on Digital. Now it's on DVD. It'll be on streaming next. So we'll get to talk about it a fourth time, I think, as well. And of course, like, we talked about it on Oscar night as well. It was out around about that time. But uh, so that's that's all about on DVD, as you say, from uh, this great Monday, June twenty second, alongside another film that I don't think went down quite as well, but I think certainly had a lot more style, very sing- more of a singular vision than uh, than Emma, and that was uh, Justin Cazell's The True History of the Kelly Gang, starring George Mackay, Russell Crowe. This was a really wild, anarchic look at Australia's infamous Kelly Gang. You're not the man you pretend to be. You're a boy looking for a captain to tell him what to do. You're a son of thief. We're rebels, warriors. And you all wear dresses. Nothing scares a man like crazy. You boys want to build an army? You're bloody bulletproof, boys! Are you Dave? You're mine. Don't. Not now. I really wanted to love this film. I really did because I love movies that are that are essentially out there and art house and bonkers mm. and non-linear. And I don't know why I couldn't connect with this movie, but that's just me. I think a lot of people did. I don't know. I mean, like you say, it didn't connect with you. I, I, this was a very uh, mixed reception, I think, of this one, because I don't, and, and to be fair, that is just Justin Cazell. I think that is how his body of work seems to go. Uh, his version of Macbeth, for instance, people love that or they hate it. Or it's a, He's a very polarising director. The less said about uh, Assassin's Creed, the better. But Macbeth is fine. Yeah, but I mean... The true history of the Kelly Gang, I think what I really wanted to see was, you know, we, we were getting a lot of hype from George Mackay around 1917 and his performance and that. And then to see him some, do something totally different. I mean, he owned the role mm. of Ned Kelly in this. He was brilliant. And my God, like his physique, everything about it was just... <laughs> you dedicate, but you could see the dedication for the role in this that he'd created. And it's mm. one of those films that I think from an independent perspective, it was kind of playing hard at the picture houses, the Curzons. It's that kind of movie. And for that kind of audience, that's the audience that absolutely loves this. I think for a more generic, you know, audience that, uh, that just go to the cinema because they enjoy going to the cinema, this is a little bit too out there for them. But I think it was well done. I think the colorization on the screens was amazing. I think the, the interesting rule of gender around it was really clever as well. There was a lot of cross-dressing in there which worked in a really bizarre artistic way. Ultimately, it just fell flat in terms of its, its pace, I think. I think it just needed to pick up. It was stark in terms of its, its setting, so you needed something to give it some pump behind it. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. I mean, I personally like that 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 singular punk, that sort of punk vision that kind of worked for me. But I can understand, of course, that it's not quite to everyone's taste. But you know what? You can make your own mind up. Pick it up on DVD this coming Monday. Sure. So we uh, should we go to streaming next? We've got uh, a couple of classics, a new movie, and a recent sequel to talk about this week. Uh, spread across both platforms. So let's start then with Legally Blonde, right? Which 
That, this is the definition of a sleeper hit, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And there has been chat that obviously a Legally Blonde 3 is going to be in the works. Reese Witherspoon is kind of still, you know, stirring the pot. You mean Threegally Blonde? <laughs> Threegally Blonde. Yes! Uh, love that. Um, so this is the original, the classic, the L Woods, um, Little Chihuahuas sales were like going through the roof after this um she is there was even a kardashian um sort of mickey take video as well of the introduction of l woods there's there's all this stuff that's great about it it's a really really fun film loads to enjoy about it well this is the thing because it is obviously a this is the start so this is like this is kind of like a clueless in that it is the creation of a comic character that audiences immediately fell in love with i i, I would go so far as say this is the star making role for uh, reese witherspoon she's obviously been in a lot of films before this Cruel Intentions, Fear, you know, things like that. Pleasantville, obviously, is a, a, a kind of classic. But I would argue that it's, it's Legally Blonde that makes her the massive overnight star. And something personal for you, because I think you'll enjoy this. The uh, woman, uh, the because the, the, she, she goes, she's the airhead who goes to Harvard, becomes a lawyer, and then takes part in a murder trial. And the daughter of the murder victim, who has this whole subplot involving a perm, is none other than Linda Cardellini, of all people. Oh, I love Linda Cardellini. I was wondering where you were going with that, and saying, you'll get, you'll really enjoy this. It's the dumb, it's the dumbass that goes to Harvard <laughs> and takes out a murder case. I was like, where are you running with this? Um, you know what? It's so much fun. Um, if you haven't seen Legally Blonde in a while, go and revisit it. It's on Amazon Prime from Sunday. Well worth the watch. As is our next streaming offering as well, isn't it, Van? Indeed. So from Legally Blonde to Legally Dumb, uh, this is uh, this was part three of Jim Carrey's Hat Trick of 1994, which obviously took us from Ace Ventura to The Mask to Dumb and Dumber, which also in a weird way made uh, the Farrelly Brothers as well. It's one of the all-time classic comedies. Uh, both of these are on uh, Amazon Prime. Legally Blonde is uh, available from Sunday the 21st. Uh, Dumb and Dumber from Monday the 22nd. I will be revisiting Dumb and Dumber because it's been a few years and I haven't had my quote along in quite some time. For me, it is probably the definitive Jim Carrey comedy. My favourite is always going to be The Mask, but this, I think, is his absolute masterpiece. And it's, it's for me, the high watermark of the Farrelly brothers as well. And they would go on years later to give us something about Mary and then change the comedy game again. But this, for me, this is their breaking onto the scene. This is their coming out moment. And it's it's a hard one to top. So we'll just move swiftly on from the old to the very, very new. So coming up on Netflix from Friday the 26th, is Eurovision. I've seen I've seen the trailer for this. I'm excited for this. This is Will Ferrell, Rachel McAdams, and that whole sing-along that everyone, especially Australia, loves. All of Iceland thinks we are a joke. That's not true. And my father is ashamed of me. No, he's not. He looked me into the eyes and said, I am ashamed of you. Maybe he was drunk. He said, and you might think that I'm drunk, but I am dead sober. Idiot. Officially, Fire Saga will be representing Iceland at Eurovision this year. I hate them! Absolutely terrible. They're old, disgusting people. But we have no choice. So we're in. Yep. 
So to give this its full and unabridged title, I believe it's Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga, I believe, because the band are called Fire Saga. They're the Icelandic band played by uh, Will Ferrell and uh, Rachel McAdams, who go to Eurovision sort of begrudgingly to represent uh, Iceland. As, as you can hear from the clip, they obviously, they're not wanted. Uh, his father is played by Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan doing a comedy. Looking great. Uh, I mean, I, it has it, it has happened before, and in a moment it will happen again. But uh, it, it looks like Blades of Glory with Eurovision. Now, I've got this to watch. I haven't yet, and even if I had, I'm not allowed to talk about it because it's embargoed until a certain time when all the reviews will drop simultaneously. Um, and also, I think the antagonist in this is played by Dan Stevens, who I haven't seen in a movie for a couple of years. I think so. he did turn up briefly in Call of the Wild uh, earlier this year as well. Big fan of him, big fan of the guest. So looking forward to seeing what they do with this. It looks like he is taking on his mantle as the new Carrie Elwes. But... I say that's on Eurovision, as you say, from uh, Friday. Uh, on Eurovision, it's on Netflix, as you say, from Friday the twenty-sixth. Um, speaking of Pierce Brosnan doing comedies, there is, of course, the comedy delight that is Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, which is available on Amazon Prime the same day, Friday the twenty-sixth of June. Mamma Mia two. How did you fare with this one? What I'm going to say is about this is the cameo. That's all you need to know. <laughs> Oh, the cameo. Yes. I mean, they ruined it, I think, by advertising it so widely, but we're going to be good about it and not mention it. I will say, though, I mean, for me, a more impressive cameo was Andy Garcia. It's not even a cameo, it's a supporter. Andy Garcia's in this. I'm always happy with Andy Garcia. Andy Garcia's in Book Club as one of the love interests. I love me some Andy Garcia. You know that. Desperate Measures last week. I'm a huge Andy Garcia fan. Who doesn't love a bit of Andy Garcia? And Andy Garcia, quite quite rightly, is turning his hand to many different things now. Um, uh, this, for me, it was okay. I mean, I know the hype around Mamma Mia, the original movie, was huge. So this, mm. with its fan base, the fan base will love the second one. I mean, you know, at the at the O2 in London, there's even like a sing-along dining experience. <laughs> I mean, what, what more? That, I didn't know this. Oh, yeah. What's more to say? I mean, it's a phenomenon and everyone loves it. And if you love the first film, you're going to love this one. I can also say on an academic level, you, you could actually call Mamma Mia, and this is horrible to I can actually say this out loud, the Godfather 2 of musicals. Because it literally is the exact same format as Godfather 2, but an ABBA musical. Make of that what you will. I mean, you can find out for yourself Friday 26th of June on Amazon Prime. So that's that's a pretty good selection of streaming offerings, I think. Yeah, I think you just did a bit of a mic drop to end us there as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that is a good selection. You guys have got another solid week. I mean, the heat wave is supposed to come in towards the end of next week. So get get rolling on your digital and your DVDs and your Blu-rays and your streaming and then keep those big movies that are on your TV rolling up hard as well throughout the week. We'll be back with you next Friday with even more for lockdown movies that you can get your teeth into. And of course, we'll be having lots of fun doing it. 